All right, John chapter 1. Let's get to the word this morning. Here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Whether you're just checking Jesus out, whether you're brand new in your walk with Jesus, whether you've been walking with Jesus for decades, we want to help you take your next steps, whatever that looks like. And we focus on that primarily three ways, upward, inward, and outward. Upward, we want to take our next steps in our connection and in our communion with him, our knowledge and understanding of him, our walk with him. Inward, we want to take our next steps as he is changing us and transforming us outward we want to take our next steps as we are growing in looking outside of ourselves in serving others in sharing the gospel in loving other people and so we are always asking that question here at Meadowbrook what are our next steps upward and inward and outward and as we come to the end of 2022 uh, we've been in the habit of giving each year at Meadowbrook a theme we prayerfully uh, say Lord what are you wanting us to focus on this year so 2022 we called a year of pursuing peace and so we have spent time in the teaching and and exploring this idea of peace. A lot of this was coming out of the couple of years before 2022, recognizing that there wasn't always a lot of peace in the world. There wasn't always a lot of peace in our hearts. And so we would recognize from the beginning that there is peace available from God that surpasses understanding. There is peace available from God that is given to us as a gift to guard our hearts and to guard our minds in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Philippians. And yet, at the same time, we know experientially that we don't always feel that peace all the time. We also know it doesn't always hang around once we find it. We need to pursue it. And so we have spent time this year exploring that idea. Where do we find God's peace? How do we remain in God's peace? How do we extend God's peace to other people and things like that? And so as we head into this final few weeks of 2022, we'll do a little mini Advent series that we're calling the Peace Child. Because as Jesus comes, Jesus comes in peace to this world. Jesus doesn't come with a sword. Jesus doesn't come leading an army. Jesus comes in the most peaceful way possible. He comes in the most non-threatening way possible. Jesus comes as a baby in a manger. Jesus doesn't come in a palace, he comes in a stable. Jesus doesn't come in glory in the traditional sense, he comes in humility. And when Jesus comes, the angelic hosts proclaim peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And so we're going to celebrate this baby over the next few weeks who brought us peace with God and who calls us to peace with one another as we celebrate Christmas together. So let's take a look at our text today. We're in John chapter 1. We're going to read uh, the first few verses. Starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who comes from the father, full of grace and truth. So that, I have a lot of favorite Bible passages. That could be one of my, certainly one of my favorite passages, maybe my favorite Christmas passage. And it's not kind of the Christmas story that we see in Luke chapter 1 and 2, but I just love the Christmasness of this passage. And we sing songs about the Word becoming flesh, right? We've sung it already this morning. The incarnate Word made flesh. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. It shows up in carols all the time. The Word of God made flesh. And we're just going to explore that today. Because often, as Christians, when we talk about the Word of God, we are, of course, talking about the Bible, Right? The Bible is the word of God, and it is. Of course it is. But this is the word being talked about in a very different way. It's not talking about the word of God as the written scripture. It's talking about the word of God as Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. So why is Jesus called the word of God? What does that mean for us as we follow after Jesus? And what does it mean for us as we are seeking to walk in God's peace? So why does Jesus get this title? And so as John begins this passage, starting in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so the word there being used as a name for Jesus. So you could say in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. In the beginning, John is obviously tying back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is saying, this is that same God at work right now. The same God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, that same God is working the same way through Jesus, his word, in the beginning. Jesus is with God, and Jesus was God. And this will be an important verse for us in understanding the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity, that somehow Jesus is both separate from God the Father, and yet also one with God the Father, that Jesus is not just a king. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a healer. He's not just a teacher. We believe Jesus is God in the flesh. And so Jesus is the word in this passage. And the first way we're going to look at that is Jesus is the word of God revealed. Jesus is the word of God revealed. We have the word of God that is written down. We call that scripture. And then we have the word of God that is lived out and we call him Jesus. Jesus is the word of God revealed. So what does this mean? It means that if the Bible were a person, it would be Jesus Christ. If you were to take the the character of God as expressed in the Bible, if you were to take the teachings of the Bible, the holiness of the Bible, the authority of the Bible, if you were to take all of those things and turn it into a person somehow, it would look like Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything the Bible says about God lived out in human form. Jesus is everything that God cares about, lived out in human form. All of God's holiness, all of his desire, all of his emotion, everything that God is, is revealed in Jesus Christ. There's a, how many have watched The Chosen? You've been watching that series? Season three is coming out. If you haven't seen this, you need to see it. Uh, The Chosen you can find on YouTube, and there's an app you can download as well. It's the story of Jesus, really well done. I'm finding it really powerful. I watch it with the kids. And so season three is coming out, and so they showed a trailer. And so Jesus, in seasons one and two, has been starting his ministry and gathering his disciples and all those kinds of things. Uh, In season three, Jesus is getting in more trouble, it looks like. There's there's some drama and some some tension coming. Uh, The Pharisees aren't liking what he's doing, and, and Jesus 
Jesus stirred things up wherever he went. And so there's just a little snippet of the scene. I don't know the full context, but in the trailer, one of the Pharisees comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you don't stop what you're doing, we will have no choice but to judge you by the law of Moses. And Jesus responds, I am the law of Moses. And when I watched it the first time, I said out loud, yeah, he is. That everything about God's holiness that is portrayed in the written word, Jesus is. He lives that out in human form. And so as we are are trying to understand the scripture and as we read the scripture and as the scripture shows us who God is and shows us who Jesus is and shows us the commandments and all of those kinds of things, we have the written word which points to these things and then we have Jesus who is these things personified. And he lives it out perfectly. Jesus can't be anything that God isn't. And God can't be anything that Jesus isn't. Jesus is everything that God is. And God is everything that Jesus is. The clearest picture we have of who God is gets lived out for us in the person of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, not 13. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So God has spoken through his word. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom Also, he made the universe. John has also touched on that. This is the creator God. The sun, this is important, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is everything that God is. Everything we need to know about God, we see in Jesus. And so the Bible, we are constantly seeking to grow, as Peter tells us to, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are always wanting to understand more. We are always digging in. There's parts of Scripture that are difficult. We are wanting to wrestle with those things. There's things in Scripture that are, are, are sort of, um, you know, we're trying to figure out what does that mean for us as we live it out in real life, right? The Word says this. How do I actually apply that? And so those things are things that we are always talking about and always wrestling through and always uh, trying to figure out as we seek after the Lord together. Everything we need to know about God, we see in Jesus. And then the scripture is there to help us know this Jesus. And so we acknowledge and love and revere and dig into the word of God written down. But we worship and we follow the word of God lived out in Christ. We honor and follow Jesus as as the word of God, the revelation of God lived out. Jesus is the word of God revealed. This also affects how we approach the written word because uh, as we are seeking to follow after Jesus as Lord and, and we're told in scripture that anyone who claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did in 1 John 2, 6. So if we're calling ourselves Christ followers, we gotta look like Christ. And so we are wanting to follow in his ways and his example. That also means that as we approach the written word, we are reading the written word through the lens of who Jesus is, the living word. And so I'll give you an example of this. The Bible talks a fair bit about leadership. And leadership is one of those things that it means a lot of things to different people. Um, A lot of it comes down to kind of who's in charge, right? Who's who's at the top? Uh, Who's accountable, right? Who do I get mad at? Um, who's the one that is, is at the very top, who's leading these things. That, that's kind of how our, our world and our culture looks at leadership. And I'm really amazed. When my son was little, um, this was a few years ago, 
Um, and I had, I had been the lead pastor kind of in the interim uh, when we were in a pastoral transition here. And he said to me one day, Daddy, who's in charge of the church? And I said, Jesus, of course. And he said, no, but who's in charge of the church, like of the people? And I said, well, you know what I love about our church, buddy, is that we really do things as a team here. And so we have a team of leaders. So we have a team of staff who, who do things, and we have a team of elders, and the elders and the staff work together. And when we're trying to figure out what to do, or we're making a decision, or we're setting a, a direction, we really, we pray about it together, and we talk about it together, and we figure it out together. There's no kind of one person who's in charge. Like, we really do it as a team. Once the team has a sense of this is the decision, then we agree on that together, and as a team, we then execute that. So we really do that as a team. And my son looked at me and said, but who's in charge? Like, who's, who's the, and, and there is something like, I mean, we didn't teach him that, but there is something in him as a little one who was, who was looking for that, who was seeking that. And, and certainly as we think about leadership, uh, leadership looks lots of different ways. The Bible talks about leadership in lots of different ways. So there's uh, Old Testament leadership where there, there is a hierarchy that God establishes and there's uh, prophets and then there's kings and there's judges who rule over Israel at different times. And the New Testament talks about church and there's elders and there's pastors and there's overseers, the church, uh, you you know, structure is talked about a little bit in there. The Bible talks about leadership in the home, where husbands, you're the leader of the home, and what does that look like? And um, the problem with the word leadership is it can mean a lot of things to different people. And the context sometimes is really, really different. And so when we're trying to figure out what's a biblical form of leadership, because we know and we've heard stories of, oh, well, there's pastors out there where for them leadership means I'm the boss, you do what I say. Right? I am the one in charge, to, to answer my son's question. I'm at the top of the pyramid, you do what I say. And we know people who run businesses that way. We know husbands who would say, woman, know your place. I am in charge, and you follow after me and submit and do what I say. And the Bible does talk about leadership. It does talk about submission. But as we're approaching all of these things, as we are going to the written word, and what does the written word say about this stuff, we are always wanting to filter it through the living word of Jesus. How did Jesus live? How did he live out God's perfection flawlessly? What did he teach on these things? And as we follow after him, what does that look like? And so as the Bible talks about leadership and submission, here's what Jesus had to say about it in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, the pagans, the ones who don't know God, he's talking about. You know that those in the world lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. I'll say that again, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as Jesus lives out God's word perfectly, that's what leadership looks like. He teaches it and he lives it. Jesus doesn't come saying, I'm the boss, everybody do what I say. Jesus comes and says, hey, can I wash your feet for you today? Jesus comes ultimately and goes to the cross and says, can I lay down my life for you today? So where the world tends to look at leadership as kind of a top-down who's the boss and who's in charge and who's, you know, cracking the whip and how are you submitting to that, as much as the world looks at it that way, Jesus says the world does that. They lord it over others. They exercise that authority. Jesus says, hey, Christ followers, not so with you. Leadership looks very different the way Jesus lives it out. And so, yes, there is leadership. Yes, there is submission. But if you're a leader in the kingdom, that means you're the first servant and the first slave. 
Husbands, you are absolutely the leaders of your home biblically, but this is what that leadership looks like in following in the example of Jesus. You are a foot-washing, life-laying-down leader. It is not a place to say, I'm in charge, you do what I say, and you submit to me. That's the leadership that Jesus specifically says isn't what he's looking for in the kingdom. And so we always are looking to the written word through the light of the living word. How did Jesus live this out for us as an example for us to follow? If my understanding of the written word doesn't look like Jesus, then my understanding of the written word needs to change so that it does look like Jesus. We are following after him, and it is being lived out before us perfectly. And so this actually, to me, clears up a lot of the trickier passages of Scripture, right? Where, we're, where we kind of get into conversations of like, well, what about violence in the Old Testament? And what do we do with that? And it's like, well, how did Jesus live out his life? And what did he call us to do? Because he calls us to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek and to put our, other sword, or put our swords away. And so we're going to follow after him as he lives that out perfectly for us. We are following what the living word has called us to follow. And so it can get tricky still, and there's a lot of wrestling that has to happen, but we are following after Jesus. Jesus is the word of God revealed perfectly and lived out. And peace comes to us as we celebrate this baby who was born when we recognize that, when we say, okay, Jesus is all I need to know about God. It's all I need to know about how to live this out. All of scripture is going to point towards this, and I'm going to wrestle through it in living out in the way of Jesus, because scripture says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so we are seeking to follow after him, his teaching, his example, and his ways. And we are wrestling through all of scripture to that end and to that point. Moving on, verse 9 through 13, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Light has come into the darkness. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, though he created the world, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So in our sin, we talked about this in communion, we all like sheep have gone astray. I think that's one of my favorite pictures of sin from Isaiah. We all like sheep have gone astray. That God called us to walk with him, and we've all said, no, thank you. We've all said, I'm choosing my own way. I don't need to be told what to do. I don't need to submit to anybody. I don't need to follow anybody's ways. I'm going to go the way I want to go. And the picture of sheep that have wandered away from the shepherd who really just wanted to protect them, right? Really just wanted to, to keep them alive. And so the good shepherd, our good shepherd, has come after us in our wandering. He's laid his life down for us. There's an invitation here to come back where our sin cut us off from God. The invitation from Jesus is come back into the family. Come back to the table. Come back and be welcomed into the family of God with your heavenly father. As we explore the second point, the point is this. Jesus is the word of God realized. The first was Jesus is the word of God revealed. The second is that he's the word of God realized. Jesus comes to realize, to fulfill all of scripture. He would say that about himself. I have come to fulfill this. Matthew is really good in his gospel of pointing out all the ways in which Jesus is fulfilling the word of the Lord, right? We read one this morning for communion. This happened to fulfill what was said through the prophets. 
This happened to fulfill what Jeremiah said. This happened to fulfill what Isaiah said. All of these things we're seeing in Jesus are fulfilling the word of the Lord that was promised. And this word of the Lord comes from the very beginning, back in the garden, uh, back at the very, very beginning. As Adam and Eve sin, and as sin enters the world, as mankind falls, as the curse falls, as the consequences fall upon humanity... And God says, now you're going to be cut off from God. Now death is where everything ends for you. Now life is going to be full of pain and shame and struggle because that's what sin does. Right away, God speaks the word of how he's going to turn it all around. And he says, woman, one day you will have a son and he will crush the head of the serpent. One day I will set this right. Right away, God speaks and he says, I'm going to fix what you guys have broken. He does not leave us in our sin or our shame. God comes after us. And so the minute sin enters the world, God starts speaking about how he's going to fix it. And then through prophets and through the law and through all of these different ways, scholars disagree about exactly how much, but there's somewhere between 300 and 600 prophecies about Jesus Christ to come and what he's going to do. Somewhere between 300 and 600. The reason for the discrepancy is sometimes one's a little vague and they kind of, scholars like to fight with each other. That's what they do. And so they don't know if that one really applies or not. But I would say 300 for sure, perhaps up to 600. And there's all of these ways in which God speaks. He speaks through Moses. He speaks through Isaiah. He speaks through Micah. He speaks through Jeremiah. He speaks his word that says, I'm going to fix it. And Jesus is that word of God fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. They are all coming together in the gospel. The apostle Paul, when he's preaching the gospel, would say this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. That the scriptures were all pointing to Jesus. That the Old Testament makes clear that Jesus is going to come. It makes clear that he's going to be born in the tribe of Judah. It makes clear that he's going to live in the area of Galilee. It makes clear that he's going to be kind of an unimpressive guy. He's not going to be full of majesty and beauty and glory. It makes clear that he's going to die. It makes clear that he's going to be pierced. It makes clear that he's going to rise again. The scriptures are all pointing to Jesus. The word of the Lord is all pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the word of God fulfilled. He is the word of God realized in its entirety. And peace comes when we trust that, that from the very beginning, as sin enters the world, God already starts talking about how he's going to fix it. God already knows, as Adam and Eve sin, that there is a baby who's going to be born, that we are celebrating at Christmas time, and this child is going to bring peace to the world. He is going to bring us to peace with God. He's going to bring us into peace with each other. He's ultimately going to bring peace to all of creation. Peace comes to us when we remember that. We remember that God knows the end from the beginning, that God actually is not capable of worry that he knew from the start exactly how he was going to fix this. And that was true in the large scope of the story of the gospel. And it is true in your life as well. He knows. He's not worried. And peace comes when we put our trust and hope in that. Last piece, verse 14. The word became flesh. God's revelation, God's promises became flesh in this baby. They became lived out. 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. The fullness of who God is showing up in Jesus. Rich Vladis makes the point that the word became flesh. The word, when God brought this revelation to us, when he brought this blessing to us, he says, it's not that the word became a systematic theology. It's not that the word became a denominational faith statement. It's not that the word became a bunch of points that you need to check off to make sure your beliefs are all in line. Like all of those things are good and they can be good anyway. Uh, They are important in helping us understand God, but it's not that the word became a new religion. It's not that the word became a new denomination. It's that the word became flesh. That God's revelation didn't come as, hey, here's another list of stuff for you guys to do. Here's another uh, set of commandments for you guys to follow. The word became flesh. God came down among us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came and he lived with us. He walked among us. Last piece, Jesus is the word of God released to this world. Jesus is the word of God released. He's the word of God revealed, the word of God realized, and the word of God released into the world. From the very beginning, when God created everything, how did he do it? He spoke, right? And if you read other religions and their creation stories, there's stories sometimes of of war between light and dark and and lots of gods who fought with each other and gods who came and, and, you know, through the warfare created the mountains and different things. Um, in our story from our God, God doesn't need to do any of that stuff. God doesn't need to actually work that hard to create. God just has to speak because that's how powerful his word is. So God speaks, let there be light and there's light. God speaks, let there be earth and there is earth. Let there be water and there is water. Let there be birds and fish and there are. Let there be man, let there be woman. God speaks and it happens. And we see throughout scripture, God's word is the agent that he uses to get stuff done because all God has to do is speak and stuff gets done. God doesn't even have to get up off the throne. God doesn't have to to actually do anything. He just speaks and his will is accomplished. His word comes down to earth from heaven and his will is fulfilled. Isaiah would celebrate this in this way. God is speaking through Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God says, I speak, my word comes to the earth, it does what I want it to do, and then the word returns to me. That's what happens when God speaks. That's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus comes down from heaven, he comes to the earth, he accomplishes everything that God has for him to do, and then he returns to heaven, fulfilling everything that God wanted for him. Jesus is God's word released to the earth. Jesus gets God's will done. And the word comes through God. It comes, obviously, to us clearest in Scripture as we revere and honor the Scripture. And when the word of God comes, God speaks. He speaks through the Scripture. He speaks through Jesus. The author of Hebrews says he speaks by his spirit. He speaks to us. Then our job is to spread that word. That's our job. It's his job to speak. It's our job to share it. When the shepherds come to the nativity scene in Luke 2, 17, it says, when they'd seen him, Jesus, they spread the word. The word about Jesus starts spreading. The story of Jesus starts spreading. Uh, And it spreads quickly. It spreads through the country very fast. 
That part is our job. So the challenge for us then is where are you spreading the word of God? Where are you sharing it? Because God has given it to us. And as Jesus has come and made his home in us, the word made flesh is actually in us right now. And he goes with us everywhere we go. So where are we sharing him? Where is the word being shared in our lives? And that's a tricky thing to do, to be certain. And yet, as I, I think about my life, and I'm sure you feel similarly, you know, when we've talked about this before here, you know, when we have good news, we share it, right? Someone gets a new job. Sarah got a new job a little while ago. We were telling everybody, it's good news. It's wonderful. She's got a new job. It's a great job. And, and so we celebrate that. When we're having a baby, when we're getting married, like we celebrate these things. Even separate from big life events, like we tend to just share the things that are important to us with other people, right? When you get together with people, how's work? How are your kids? What's going on? What's going on in church for you these days? How's your ministry going? And then what are the kids up to? And, and we tell the story of what's going on in our lives. We share the things that are important to us. So if Jesus is important to us, and I hope he is, where are we sharing him? Where are we sharing with people what he's teaching us these days? Where are we sharing what we're learning in our walk with him? Where are we sharing with those who are lost and who are hurting and who are broken? Hey, there is a way to know God. And it's really, really easy. You, just, you start by just getting to know Jesus. And that's the easiest way to introduce people to God. Just have you met Jesus yet? And, and is there a way that I can point you towards him? Is there a way I can share who he is? Our peace comes when we walk in the footsteps of Jesus in this way, that we point to God. We share the word. We spread the word as the shepherds do. Come on up, worship team. We're just about ready to wrap up today. So Jesus is the word of God revealed. He is the word of God realized. He is the word of God released. I don't usually do alliteration where everything's one letter, but there you go. For those of you who are hungry for that, Jesus is the three R's, we'll call it. The word of God revealed, realized, and released. And as we continue to reflect on these things, and, and there's stuff to unpack here for sure, um, we always pray when we wrap up a service, Holy Spirit, keep speaking, right? Long after I'm done talking, keep speaking and keep unpacking with people, and keep bringing revelation, and keep bringing understanding along the way. But as we're here at Meadowbrook Church, helping people take their next steps with Jesus upward, inward, and outward, uh, just as we reflect on these things, our next steps upwardly, as we are picturing Jesus as the word of God revealed. What does Jesus teach me about God? What does he teach me about the Father in heaven? What does he teach me about how to follow after the ways of God? What does he teach me about the things that are important to God? What does he teach me about the things that I should be looking at in my life and saying, well, what's lining up with Jesus and what's not lining up with Jesus? What is he teaching me about the things that are important to him? What is he teaching me about how God feels about things? What's he teaching me about how does God treat people? How do I see that lived out perfectly in the life of Jesus? And so what are my next steps to learn and grow in that particular area. Inwardly, what are the next steps of just resting in the peace of the word of God realized that God knows exactly what he's doing, that God in the garden wasn't worried about anything. I'm sure he was grieved, but he wasn't worried about anything. That God, when Israel made mistakes, wasn't worried about anything. That as Jesus struggled in the garden with what he was about to face, I'm sure God grieved with him, but God wasn't worried about anything. Peace comes when we rest in that, that the God who fulfills 300 to 600 prophecies in Jesus Christ, who fulfills that perfectly in, in him, who has always said, I have a plan to save and redeem and transform creation. 
That's our God, and we rest in that peace with him. The inward peace comes as we rest in that peace with him. Outwardly, in terms of next steps, what does it mean for the word of God to be released? What does it mean for the word of God to be released through you? As you go out into your circles, your families, your friendships, what does it mean for you in your home right now? What does it mean at your workplace? What does it mean at school? What does it mean to spread the word just as the shepherds came and spread the word as Jesus is the word of God released? Where are we releasing that word in our lives? So what are your next steps? I don't like to give you these directly because I really want you to pray and wrestle through these things. I want you to go to the Lord. And say, Lord, where do I go next? What do you have for me? Who needs to hear in my life what you are up to? Who needs to hear what I can share about something you're teaching me right now? Where do I need to dig where I say, you know what? I actually don't know enough about what God wants. I don't know what his holiness is. So I'm going to dig into scripture and I'm going to look to Jesus and I'm going to wrestle through it all and say, I want to know better the way I should go. I want to know how to make good choices. I want to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. Take some time with the Lord this week as you reflect on the message, as you pray through the message and say, Lord, what are my next steps? What are you calling me into from here? Would you stand with me, please, as we get ready to close and worship? And as we sing a carol that we know, one that we love, let us reflect on what we are talking about today. Let us look to Jesus, the perfect word of God, lived out for us, and how we can follow after him.